1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing operations and digital teams to drop our silos and stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 153, We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how we can measure digital transformation. How do we realistically evaluate our investments if we don't have some indication of our progress? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I will drop some knowledge about how to evaluate the latest consumer tech that's on our phones and other devices. Then we're joined by Johnny Rodriguez, Director of Innovation for Fresh Consulting. And I promise you, you will not want to miss Johnny's world champion level beatboxing skills. Okay. it's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go.
0: Flavor of the week.
1: Digital transformation sounds all fine and good, but how will we measure it? On this highway that leads to the healthcare experience of tomorrow, there are few mile posts or road signs to indicate how far we've come or how much further we have to go. Thinking about how we will measure success with digital transformation is just as important as the actions themselves. We need some forms of measurement so we can evaluate investments, and determine how much more time and money we put into it. It still has to make good business sense. Without some indication of progress though, it's no wonder some of these initiatives never go anywhere. We need to help ourselves and make measurement part of the discussion about digital transformation. I asked the Twitter sphere and the LinkedIn universe how we know if organizations are on track and it led to some great discussion. Mind you, we're focusing on the marketing side of the equation for now. So when I asked for ways that we can measure and know if we're on target, Mitch Holdwick suggested lower call volumes. Our own Zanus Mail recommended net promoter score and conversion time. John Marzano pointed to an article he read that reiterated that digital transformation is not successful without cultural transformation. So the shift to patient-doctor shared decision-making, equal partners in personal care, and more democratization and delivery are places he would point. Jimmy Kim pointed to the need for stats. He said each digital investment you make should support the broader goals of your business strategy, such as productivity. So in his mind, productivity is generally generally understood as the volume or value of outputs relative to the time and resources invested. It's hard to justify transformation if it doesn't increase profits, employee satisfaction, and of course, better care for our clients and patients. Linda Stotsky said workflow improvements, time to value, and ROI were three areas that came to mind because success is measured in time to value. And then she went on and explained further that if workflows are connected, errors are reduced and value is realized, then those are areas she would point to and the fact that it is totally scalable according to need. And Ed Marks gave us perhaps the ultimate measure that's anecdotal at this point, but still an important marker, which is when other industries come to learn from healthcare. Let's keep this going. The more we have an active discussion about how to measure digital transformation, the sooner we'll agree on the destination and be able to tell how far it will take to get there. And that's the flavor of the Week. Well, it's another week and it's another opportunity to speak with Zane Ismail. Uh, Zane, how are you doing?
2: doing good, Jared. Just trying to get through this pandemic like the rest of us. Can't wait to be done with this.
1: I hear you. And, you know, at least we're looking through the lens of, hey, there's some hope on the horizon as vaccination rates increase and so forth. That's right. And we work towards, I mean, even the latest thing I heard was Hey, once we reach certain milestones with herd immunity and you know, percent positivity rates. And I'm like, okay, at least we have some milestones. Absolutely. It'd seem a little bit more possible because that did not always that was not always the case.
2: The only thing that's concerning me is with these variants that are starting to appear, there's a possibility that some of the vaccines won't be as effective against them. But what I would say to our listeners is the ultimate the ultimate, call it high-level measure we need to get to is, hopefully, as long as these vaccines prevent people from being hospitalized or dying, we're good. I mean, if you still kind of get COVID, but it's not that terrible, I think we'll be okay. It's the hospitalization and dying, if you remember, that was the thing we're really trying to avoid.
1: Yes, and undoubtedly, that's the part that has been straining our healthcare system as well. So. I wholeheartedly agree. I hope that's where we can get and that's where we can focus. What about any uh, latest awesome things that that have come across your your life lately, Zane? Anything uh, pretty awesome?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, I continue to explore Clubhouse. That's been awesome, but not a whole lot else that I can really think of. I think we can keep using
1: that one. I mean, Clubhouse, it it, it changes every time (laughs) you're on
2: it. I know. I mean, there's more and more people on it now and there's like more and more interesting discussions. So the other day I was actually in a discussion with just a product manager from Amazon. So he was sharing what he could about the company and just talking about the ins and outs of the company, how to get hired there if you're interested, and just sort of what the company's focused on. And so it's really, really cool how they think in their culture. And so again, it's just such a cool platform where you can just engage like intimately, if you will, with experts of all different types and people you could have never imagined connecting with. Another just for fun room I got into was just one on history. And so it was younger folks who are just passionate about history and we're talking about I think the Civil War, which was really cool. Cause again, through COVID, you know, when can we just go find people to talk to about these things? So definitely a platform for our listeners to check out and like I said, sometime we should get on there, Jared, and lead a discussion or move our podcast to a live format. I
1: see that on the horizon here, I definitely do. <laughs> and you know, I I actually credit us with going like a full month without even bringing it up a whole yeah, lot right. on the program. So I mean, credit to us. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on into what we're talking about today on the flow, which is evaluating new tech and mm. really, how do we design with human-centered design principles sure, sure. and plan for emerging tech at the same time. Like it's kind of two sides of the same equation in my mind, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily, you know, come from the same perspective. So to me, the status quo here has, and, and what's been keeping it from changing are kind of the same thing. <laughs> the the thought of the two being on opposite sides of the equation when they really are on the same side. At the end of the day, we're trying to solve, we're not even just trying to solve things, we're trying to plan for a better healthcare experience and we're trying to reimagine how it happens, how you operationalize it and understand really how to not even just get to a certain point now because that point will be different in 18 months from now as far as what is success and what is an acceptable and what is an elite experience that's gonna change. And so we can't just be happy with where we get now. For me, human-centered design and emerging tech all sit in the same area of here are ways to solve that problem, but not necessarily on their own. These are all parts of the formula. You know, one example would be We'll get in with our interview with Johnny later on about what's even available on a, on smartphones these days that has never been available really commercially to anyone on the street that has now opened up all sorts of of new new ways of imagining healthcare. I mean, to even sit here right now and think, hey, haven't we? don't we have all the tech in our hands that we'll ever have no we're it's going to keep evolving and so yeah, yeah. i think this skill of just learning how to evaluate new tech through human centered design principles is is really important here so uh, walk me through this zane what where does your mind go when we start talking this about this stuff
2: yeah so this whole topic is really exciting to me cuz i think it's i mean there's a huge gap in healthcare where ultimately i think we find cool technologies and then we look for a use case or we look for a problem to apply it, versus the human-centered design way, which is to understand, you know, what is it really that our that our patients who are human beings live on God's green earth, what is it that their real problem is that we potentially should solve, or maybe we shouldn't even be trying to solve them. And so when I think about like what are some of the big like top four principles of human-centered design, the first for people to really think about is really focusing upon the people or the person or the patient or the health plan member. And it's here, it's like really vital to identify the real reason why people want to use your product. This one's a little bit of a mind-bender, and I would ask people to go with me, but I would argue that you know people don't want to come to your health system to get. You know, cured of cancer because they want to get cured of cancer. What they really want is to go back to their old life, or they what they really want is to still, you know, be able to go to dinners with their grandchildren. Or they still want to be able to walk their dog. It's not the actual malignancy, if you will, that people are seeking our services for. And so, when you expand your mind and start to think that way, all of a sudden you realize that there's. There's potentially other solutions and potentially other things that we should be solving for. So, really, first is getting at the core of the person, what is the real issue we're trying to solve. And so, really, a lot of that requires you to think about what's the situation in which people are seeking our product or service, what's their motivation? So getting at sort of the the expressed and unexpressed and almost like spiritual needs of people, which we've talked about before. And then what is the expected outcome that People will want after using your product or service. So again, is it, you know, I'm coming to get a, a orthopedic surgery just so that my foot is fixed? No, it's so that I can go and run on the beach again, or I can go climb a mountain again, or I can go vacation again. It's those things. The next is to make sure that you're solving the right problem. So as you think about, you know, all these different challenges that our consumers have and are seeking our services for, there's more than one problem that you probably will start to realize these individuals have. And so thinking through what is the one that we should be solving or makes sense, both from a technical perspective, financial, uh, even an ethical perspective, because we can't solve them all. But there are some things that we should be solving as part of being their health provider. And then third is thinking about everything as part of an interconnected system, and so no individual product or service that we will offer is on its own right and so thinking about what are the other things that potentially these patients or health plan members are procuring from us and thinking about as a whole holistic connected experience whatever you're developing needs to fit into that and as you know technology just because like you get call it like maybe it's like the sign-on right or you get the telemedicine visit right doesn't mean the whole thing works from the perspective of the user or the patient. And then finally, the biggest thing, and this is where I think health systems really, at least legacy health systems really fail, is validating their design decisions, meaning try them, test them. And I don't mean pilot them. I mean, even before that, validate that that they're both functional. So that's kind of like a user experience exercise. Can someone actually use the product or the tool that I'm developing? But then also validate it from a demand. Like, do people actually want this? Right. And so, what usually happens is, let's say, for instance, we create an app. You can put an app in front, of, maybe it's your, maybe it's a set of advisors that your health system has. And you say, hey, do you like this? And, They might say yes, they might say no, but that only solves for one thing, and that is like the usability, like does it work? Does it functionally work? Yes, yes. But what you're not actually solving for is do they actually want it? And so you need to think about setting up other experiments to validate that both the solution is usable, it works, but also that people actually want it. And that's a big thing that people forget. And so summarizing all of this, again, to go back to what I said earlier, this is where you need to start to figure out you know, what are all the things that a solution might need to provide. Let's get the problem down correctly. And then we go out to either build, buy or partner with whoever for other discussions to actually fulfill the needs um, that we've identified.
1: So that's a, an entirely different mindset than, like you said, hey, we found some tech, let's find a healthcare use case for it. Yeah, right. you know, And it's a bit foreign to a lot of those who are entrenched within the healthcare system these days. And I think that bears noting because... If we are, I mean, it all has to do with where our perspective is. Like, what's the scope of our vision right now? How far out can we see? What are we even trying to look for? And that's an important skill when we're talking about evaluating new tech at all, because it's the process of how we do it. It has very little to do with any one particular piece of tech at all. It has very little to do with virtual reality or voice or whatever the, the tech is. It has to do with how we examine it and what questions we're asking about it to see if it really is feasible, like you said, and in demand and all those questions, the way we get to those answers is it's just a very different process. So you can take a look at at like how things have evolved with, yeah, with just smartphones. And again, we'll talk about that, uh, you know, later on, but I just find it interesting that, that this really is an entirely
2: outdated mindset that we have to shake ourselves loose from. Absolutely. And what I what I see health systems make mistakes on all the time is they might start off good. Maybe they come up with a design team to start surfacing some of these insights. But if you held up the original list of, you know, these are the problems, here are the must-haves of any solution versus what actually gets implemented, there's a complete dichotomy. And so health systems need to get a lot better if they do follow a design design process to understand what those need to be, to hold the vendor accountable or hold their design or their digital team accountable That's maybe building a product to make sure that they're building to the consumer identified spec and not to what they think is best. And frankly, and this comes back to many discussions we've had, Jerry, where we need new titles in healthcare, new roles. And frankly, that falls on the product manager. To make sure that the vision between technology, business, and strategy remains absolutely tied to what the customer said they want, based on the insights we've discovered in doing this analysis.
1: I love that line mm-hmm. of thinking because it's going to take us to a very different place. You yes. know it, it made me think of uh, of health systems like Banner Health uh, out here in Arizona that do actually have product managers. They have a digital business team, and I don't even know if that's what they they call it anymore. At one point they did, but they have product managers who are their entire role there is to iterate or reimagine, one part of the customer experience, and something like just the billing experience or just access. And I say just in air quotes, because we all know how challenging that actually is. But as opposed to looking at the entire journey, they are are completely focused, laser focused on one area, one touch point, one part that makes all the difference in how the experience goes. And again, we're talking about mindsets. We're talking about understanding the difference in what it takes to succeed these mm-hmm. days, not just now, but as that, you know, where the, uh, the old, uh, I believe it's attributed to Wayne Gretzky that, you know, you don't skate to where the puck is now you skate to where it's going. Yep. Yep. You know, that mentality. That's what we're talking about. How do we help us get there and realize that, We have to shake ourselves loose from something that is static. We have to have a a very dynamic, fluid approach to things because of how quickly it changes. I mean, we spent, I'm telling you, at least from, from a marketing standpoint, hospitals have spent, hospitals, health systems, most healthcare organizations would fall into this category. We've spent the last decade figuring out how to manage platforms and not manage results. And I feel like we're coming to the end of this phase yeah where that it's not going to matter anymore and and also yep. it's kind of table stakes it's like yeah you better know how to run your social media you better know how to run your crm at least to a you know to a certain extent we even talk about ferraris in the garage right like uh so we might not still know how to yeah. drive it in uh, eighth gear or whatever uh, but we know how to at least drive it somewhat uh but we have to have a different set of core competencies that are even going to get us there. And so, if that's what you know, our goal is not to strike the strike fear in the hearts of anyone, but just to say, this is what it's going to take to get us there. And there are ways to do it, but it takes a, a different focus from the
2: beginning. Yeah, you know, I maybe I'm biased, but I'm obviously super passionate about this space. And I get very frustrated with people who can't see it, which is something I need to work on. But I basically grew up in healthcare starting in qualitative research. And I worked for um, the Ivy Center for Health Innovation, where we kind of did this work. Our job was to, you know, from an academic perspective, understand insights and translate those insights into white papers and then ultimately help shape policy in Canada around healthcare. And then also at that time, I really cut my teeth in healthcare by getting a part or being a part of Hacking Health which was a global healthcare hackathon movement in digital which as you know hackathons only do this stuff and so they you know they bring together um, you know informal teams to work on very specific projects that are all insight driven and within a weekend to translate those insights into real working prototypes of digital solutions and so frankly like it was a culture shock when I, you know, transitioned out of those roles and gigs and started working in more formal health systems to realize that, you know, even very senior IT leaders and strategists and innovators in these organizations do not think this way. They're usually looking. They usually have a product in mind and are trying to, to validate it and and, and try to create arguments that people actually need what they're doing, as opposed to recognizing that they're not the ultimate user and they need to go to their people, find the insights and build backwards, so to speak.
1: Seriously. I mean, imagine if the milestone here wasn't, hey, we have 80% fit for use. What if it was, we have 80% satisfaction of what the cu- what the consumer was actually asking for in the first place.
2: Absolutely. I mean, like, <laughs> it, would be, it would be so different. Yep, I agree, and unfortunately too, I see a lot of like fear of missing out. And so, you know, I know in last week we talked about conversational AI. We talked about chatbots a little bit. We talked about voice. I think all these tools are going to be needed in healthcare. But what I do see is a lot of health systems procuring them just to say that they have them, and then they market, "Oh, look, we have a chatbot, but it doesn't really do anything for you yet, right?" Or we have an Amazon skill or an Alexa skill, but it doesn't really do a whole lot for you yet. But when you start to follow these design processes and really get at the problems, you can then start to imagine how we might use this technology to actually solve one of the problems, or as some people say, the jobs to be done, um, that our patients and health health plan members have. But until you do that, you're just hanging tack, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. And
1: it's funny how at some point, we get to the point in the conversation where where some listeners will think, well, I think that's what I do already. Maybe I'm just not using the, <laughs> the, the same language or that's at least what I want to do. And you know, that's an important realization too about yeah. all of this. So my call to action here, we always talk about, we try to leave with a couple of tactical steps that leaders can take along this road. I would say my call to action just has to do with, for those who... Who are not as familiar with human-centered design principles, take some time to do that. I mean, it, there are all sorts of places to get yourself familiar with it. But let's get ourselves trained to ask the right questions, and that does come with understanding a little bit more about human-centered design, about experience design, about this whole side of of uh, service design. You name it. I know there's there's related and, and uh, related practices that are maybe just go by different terms but uh, one way or the other Let, let's educate ourselves more in this realm and we will start having different
2: conversations absolutely and to tackle what you're saying so my recommendation would be go to ido.org, i think or is it.com and download it's free you can get a pdf version their human-centered design field kit or toolkit it's about 150 pages long but it's a great primer into this whole field and has great templates and almost like paint by number steps to start to implement some of this language and some of this process into your work. And so, again, like a lot of this stuff's available online, you just have to know to go and search for it and, and do your own self education around it. And the second thing I would tell our listeners, and it might be a little bit hard through COVID, but go and join a hackathon. They're always looking for people like you who have your skill sets. Go spend a weekend with these folks and see how it gets done, see the energy that they they use and see the process that they use and get inspired by that and bring it back to your institution. Again, you might think maybe you're too senior or too executive to be a part of something so casual and so community, but I highly recommend you do it. It'll definitely change your perspective and it'll, it'll show you what an innovation culture actually looks like. And definitely being part of hackathons has sort of given me a, a one-up as I'm now in more formal healthcare.
0: So many vendors, so little time. Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime, but it's what my job's about. It makes me want to shout. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt. Something everyone wants, like a secret decoder. Something everyone needs, like your own baby Yoda. Help me to choose. I can't afford to lose. Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Partech.health. Martech.Health, do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself. Need to find a vendor, this is the way. Martech.Health, who are you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's
1: why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories, verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers, a resource library of articles, videos, and events, plus
0: an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health.
1: All right, people, we got Johnny Rodriguez in the house this week. Uh, So, so, so excited, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Not only is Johnny the Director of Innovation at Fresh Consulting, but uh, we go way, way back. My goodness, uh, there was a time that we were in a church class, early morning class, and we ended up finding ways that uh, Johnny had some unexpected talents, and we tried to make some use of that. I'll let him explain that, but first and foremost, Johnny, welcome
3: to the Healthcare Wrap. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate that intro. Yes, we do go back, and uh, you talk about my hidden talents, but you're the one that was throwing down the the rapping, and I was always so impressed with the the freestyles. So I'm uh, I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, we're good. We might have to give people a little bit of something what we're talking about, but but let, 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 let's introduce yourself a little bit first, and, and we want to <laughs> welcome you here first and foremost. A little bit about Fresh Consulting, because the way I describe it is that you guys just do like cool digital experiences. There's so much more to that, but tell us what Fresh Consulting is all about.
3: Yeah, happy to share that. Yeah, Fresh Consulting historically was, yes, like digital only, we did a lot of uh, you know, uh, strategy and products. So, so whether websites or uh, web apps or mobile apps, things like that. In recent years, uh, we're actually in hardware now. So we, we're doing um, kind of a, a wide range, end-to-end kind of service offering from, from digital to strategy to uh, hardware. Um, some of the cool things we're working on recently are industrial autonomous vehicles, um, and and all the experiences that go into that. So it's like um, working with some really some cool, cutting edge technology there, and trying to help uh, different industries from just that wide spectrum of uh, service offering. So yeah, high level, just really helping you know, trying to challenge the status quo and, and advance innovation in, in all these shifting industry landscapes. So it's a uh, it's fun to to work there, and I've been there about seven seven and a half years
1: and you're based out of where are you based out of these days
3: Our headquarters are in Seattle I recently moved back to the Austin Texas area so I'm I'm happy to be back in Texas I consider Texas home. So I'm here now. We have our headquarters in Seattle and a couple of other offices, Portland, Thailand, and now opening, helping open a office here in Austin.
1: Well, congrats on that. That's a, it's always nice to hear the growth that's happening with companies like yours. Uh, very excited for that. So we usually start with like, what's the latest awesome thing somebody's heard about? We might try something a little different just now. We, we've never tried this on Zoom, but it is the healthcare wrap. Johnny, what he didn't mention, is that Johnny's a beatboxer, not just any beatboxer. He's maybe genuinely the best one I've ever known, dating way back. And uh, we might try something here a little bit. Uh, Are are you down for, uh, for dropping a couple bars
3: here? All right, yeah, I'm down.
1: Okay, so... We haven't tried this on Zoom before. Okay, we really <laughs> haven't tried this ever before. But we tried just a little bit just to introduce yourselves. I'll give us a little bit here. We will we don't know what's going to happen. So just bear with us here. But yeah, we'll just try a couple little bars here and, and see where we go. You uh, want to give us something like... Uh, Some, something in, in that tempo and, and we'll go for
3: it. Yeah, yeah. Let's try it. Here we go. <im> <per ring> <shifted fighting> Johnny's dropping beats like you really
0: don't care. But when I get my flow going, people stop and stare. Yeah, is this guy for real? Let's clear the air. You got to flip the script if you want to change health care. We're sitting here like two musketeers. We don't hear naysayers, only cheers. Even on Zoom, we own the room. But get yourselves ready. We about to go
3: boom. Nice. <laughs> okay. All right. That's how we do that. That was fun. That was good. Brings <laughs> with Man, that that worked out better than I thought it would, soon. That's amazing.
1: I agree. I agree. I, I, I've been I'm looking at all sorts of apps to have to try to do that, and uh, that that might that might work. We I think we just leveled up, like everything, just now, <laughs> <laughs> right there. Okay, so so we've given people holy cow. Uh, hopefully, we didn't just break the internet. So, in in case that's not what's happening here, let's get into this because a couple of things I want to chat with you about. Because as I, as I was sharing with you in our kind of show prep meeting here real quick there's a couple things going on in healthcare right now and one of them is just trying to understand what's in front of us right now what technologies are here available to help us improve healthcare and improve different parts of the experience there's also the macro view of what's happening in healthcare in that there are so many new things coming out there and that's been the case for over a decade for a couple of decades that we're still trying to understand the best ways to evaluate new tech. And so I want to talk about both tracks, but specifically about a couple of things that are available now on certain versions of the iPhone, like LIDAR, which I got to say, so my, my brother, for instance, my brother programs drones for a living. And when he first heard LIDAR is available on an iPhone, he's like, it blew his mind. He's like, I've been trying to figure out how to, you know, I've had to do all these other things to, to have that available. So he was one of the first ones to kind of open my eyes in terms of like, what's possible? And there was a conversation where you and I, where I was, I was just kind of watching what, what you were sharing about LiDAR specifically on LinkedIn recently. And I was like, like just off the top of your head, you were able to just throw out a few different things. And I'm like, okay, we, we need to get this in front of people. We, we need to help people understand, A, how to evaluate new tech, but, but B, like specifically, let's talk about how the smartphone has changed and what's available there. So let's start with, and kind of what we usually do is starting with the status quo in in tech. Very broad question, but if we're picking any particular part about what's keeping the status quo from changing, like why are we still sitting here and in 2021 talking about how to evaluate new tech like why haven't we figured this out yet so so talk, talk me through that I love the fact that that your your perspective isn't 100% healthcare. you're able to you, re, you really are on the bleeding edge of what has just come out and so you're able to think through what's possible talk us through just at a basic level what's the status quo what, what do we typically see when there's new technology and how do companies handle that
3: yeah, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of a lot of fear when it comes to new technology, not fear but just concern about, you know, spending budget towards new technology and then finding out that it's just not quite mature enough to kind of adopt. So, you know, there's the adoption curve of new technology that we see and there's there's a, I would say a, our companies on that on that forefront like you said the bleeding edge trying to you know, get our hands on the tech as soon as possible, the software, whatever it might be, and then evaluate, prototype, you know, start looking into use cases and really get a sense for where the applications might be based on the different types of industries. But if you're in healthcare, it might seem a little bit, Risky to do some of that, and so I think it ends up being that you know sometimes there's there's some delays in uh, adoption around new technology, new tech, new software, and I don't think it's just you know I have a background in 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 insurance industry and, and other industries like that, and I think it's kind of similar in other industries, and I think that's currently the what we see. Obviously, there's some exceptions to that. Some people adopting quickly as things become more mainstream or become become more accessible to people, but um I think we see a lot of that. But I do think that. It is important to stay to stay ahead, to be looking towards uh, learning from the past, but also looking towards the future, and and really seeing where those applications for the new tech and software might be applicable in our industries. And and I think that's where we see a lot of breakthrough breakthrough innovation kind of happening across some organizations. I don't know if I'm answering your question there, but that's kind of I think where where my thought my thought process was with your question.
1: Uh, that's exactly where I'm going. I'm thinking, you know, how do people get used to getting started? They hear about something new. And they go one of two ways. They, it just stresses them out. And they're like, I'm going to wait till somebody else figures it out for me. Or they exactly. say, I, I want to test it out. Thoughts or tips on how to get started, how to start testing and prototyping? Like, how, how do you even get started to to know where to go from with something new?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of technology coming out. I feel like every month, there's something something new for consumers, something obviously for professionals coming out all the time. I think there's an element of like... Staying up to date is actually like something that, you know, it's like one thing is actually buying the thing and actually testing out and prototyping. And the other thing is actually just staying on top of, what developments are happening? I, you know, I, I think you do this as well, Jared. But you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on other other platforms, seeing what's being done in the industry. So you know, I'm tracking uh, XR, like the the mix of augmented reality, virtual reality, pretty pretty closely right now, um, and seeing all the different developments that are happening there. You know, news that's happening, developments, people that are pushing the envelope on different tech. So staying up to date, I'd say, is like a big you know a big thing to do. A good step one. Um, as far as like prototyping, I think there's a lot of low-level ways to to do prototyping. You know, instead of uh, you know, it's like you can prove um you can test things out without actually having your thing, your your hands on the actual software or hardware. We see a lot of that in our in our you know, at our company with uh 3D, 3D printing is actually a pretty critical step before we build full-fledged hardware and get to the actual materials. That's an example of kind of testing some things out you know, we'll even see something even more low level than that, taking cardboard and, and actually putting it in your hands. You'll see people at our office, I guess, pre-pandemic, right? We'd, people at our office that would have a uh, cardboard sitting on their desk that they would use on a daily basis just to see, Hey, is this something I actually pick up and use? Is this something that's valuable to me as we're, as we're prototyping and testing uh, different tools from a software perspective? I think there yeah, there's, uh, there's elements there where you might, you know, you might take advantage of that, um, have a smaller team kind of uh, work on it. But, uh, but yeah, there are some some lower level ways to to test some things and prototype prototype some of those things out. What type of teams
1: are you typically working with on on any type of engagement or project? Is it like what departments are you typically engaging with? Like who's who's initiating a project with you on um, most frequently?
3: Yeah, it's been surprising more recently because we're finding that there are quote-unquote innovation teams that are inside of organizations now. I think that's a big shift that we're starting to see uh, in the industry, I would say, in the last three to five years. There are actual innovation like where they don't have to get bogged down by the you know sometimes there's you know it's a lot of a lot more hoops to go through when you're a, it's a bigger organization um and so sometimes smaller teams are set up that are a little bit more nimble and are able to make mistakes quickly learn from those mistakes and iterate quickly and we're, we're seeing a lot of engagements there that's been the newer type of uh, engagement that we've seen fresh but we have other companies that are are you know there are some that are investing that intentionally set apart budgets to do the testing and it's a lot of r d research and development That's happening at at these organizations, and they're and they're willing to lose a little bit of to invest some of that money upfront to be able to be at the forefront and continue to innovate as an organization. So, you know, we work with all industries. I mean, we've we've worked with healthcare, we're you know finance, you know, all every everything under the sun. I would say it's hard to say what specific industry, but a lot of people are are looking to stay ahead and you know map their the future of their company and, and. Leveraging technology and software, and, and and you know being consulted along the way. And so that's I think where we've stepped in the most.
1: Nice. So let's talk about then opportunities to innovate. Let's let's use lidar as our example here. So so for instance, something something new comes out, and we hear yeah, was it the iPhone 12? Is that is that the 12 or 12? I, I can't remember. It was certain models of the 12. Yeah.
3: So so last year in March, the Apple announced the iPad Pro. That was the first Apple device that got lidar. So they announced that and they're like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. The iPhone 12, I already had it, but as far as the iPhone 12 Pro and the Pro Max, those came out in September. Those also included the LiDAR sensor. And so basically twenty, the March 2020 devices and on for handhelds and, and tablets on the Apple side are getting this LiDAR sensor, which is really interesting because we did see Google do this, actually. We saw Google do this uh, a few years ago, back in, I think it was 2014. They released, I think, two or three devices that actually did have LiDAR in them. I think it was called the uh, Project Tango back in 2014. It was a side project for their ATAP team. And then they had some. They were using it mainly for for augmented reality. And then in 2017, when they released AR Core for their their augmented reality platform, they had a lot of computer vision algorithms in place for that. And so they they discontinued it. And so uh, it's been interesting to see that Apple's actually introducing this, I I would say, uh, in a way that's like, obviously very mainstream, way more, you know, very, very accessible, low barrier to entry. And so it's just been really interesting to see that. And I think we'll see more and more come into the future, especially on, I mean, obviously, we're seeing that with Apple, but I I think we'll start to see that again with other devices and manufacturers uh, of phones and tablets. I think we're going to start seeing that everywhere.
1: So explain for, for those who aren't familiar with lidar uh, what is it and what what are some ways that even just off the top of your head like like yeah. uh, healthcare and medicine could be using it.
3: Yeah, so lidar stands for light detection and ranging. If you've heard of radar, it's very similar. Radar is essentially radio waves that are being sent out. The difference is if you swap the r with the l which is light. Uh, essentially sending out lasers to measure. Basically, it's essentially what's called a a, it's a lighter as a type of time of flight camera. So it shoots out these lasers, you know, in a window of time. That's something in the hundreds of picoseconds. That's a point uh, eleven zeros one. So a lot of little lasers shooting out probably, you know, 500 plus depth points that are in, in, in view. And then it uh, essentially measures how long it takes for it to come back. And it's able to number one determine how far something is, but also it's able to uh, because it's pinging off of the objects and returning back to the source of laser. Laser, it's able to also map in 3D the elements that are in view. So it's pretty cool. If you take the if you take your or your iPhone 12 Pro, I have the Pro Max, and you put that on a like uh, infrared night camera, you can actually see the dots. You won't see it pulsating because it's happening so fast, but you can see the little dots. So it's a, a pretty cool technology there. And that introduction has in, you know, brought a 500% increase in 3D scanning to the iPhone, which is a huge, huge, I wouldn't call that an incre- incremental upgrade to the phone, but it's bringing essentially a up to 1% uh, range uh, for measurements. So to your question on how it applies to the healthcare industry, I think there's quite a few applications there. If you think about imaging as a, you know, how imaging is used in medical use, cases. I think if you think about anything in imaging, I think there's an application there. I think we're starting to see more and more applications there. But I think from an orthopedic standpoint, right, we're thinking braces and, you know, digital archived copies, prosthetics. We're seeing bionic arms that are 3D printed in third world countries. We're seeing ears for patients, dental implants, We're seeing in Turkey that plastic surgeons are are leveraging LIDAR for plastic surgery, showing patients their future faces, right? So being able to actually see beforehand anything that's custom uh, hardware, right? Think custom wheelchairs, surgical planning and simulation, anatomical modeling, even building medical devices. This last year with the pandemic, Fresh actually endeavored to build a ventilator. We saw a need at the beginning of the pandemic, if you remember there was like hey there's a shortage of of uh, ventilators and so we built worldwide ventilator you can see that worldwideventilator.com and we started building things there and all of that was kind of 3d printed and it was like how do we make this an open source ventilator that anybody can print anywhere in the world we used a lot of a lot of technology there lidar is applicable for that kind of thing medical device that lower level especially if speed is a factor medical device implants. And I think the list goes on. I, I don't, those were the, the, the ones that came to mind from an imaging standpoint, but we're talking like faster diagnosis, something portable, safer procedures, precisely, you know, precisely measuring shifts in, in something that's happening physically, like facial soft tissues and things like that. And measuring that over time and having that be in your pocket is super, super powerful. There definitely are some limitations. It is more accessible. We're seeing a, an increase in the speed of scanning 3D models, accuracy of 3D models. I think we're seeing faster autofocus is probably the thing you'll notice most on these newer cameras. You know, obviously, 3D scanning is a little bit more harmless than x-rays and MRIs, right? So the, the rad- there's no radiation in that type of scanning. So there's a lot of good that comes. Some of the limitations we're seeing is it's not quite ready for accuracy-critical scanning, like to something that's smaller, if that makes sense. And I think that is a, that is something that's important in the healthcare industry. But we're talking of a 1% error. And that's really, really powerful. And it's great. But if you're looking at industry standards, right, we're looking at that's, you know, industry standard for a, you know, $19,000 Arctic 3D, you know, LiDAR scanner is getting into the 0.1 millimeters, as opposed to like the one or the two millimeter differences. So you know, we're scanning a year. An ear may not be the measurements or the the models that you would use to actually print the production ready version. To your point of of entry, though, I think there's a lot of value there, right? To to start with, it's a, it's a good starting point for some of it. And in a lot of cases where things are a little bit bigger, it may not be as as critical um, that one percent error. But I think we'll see more and more. Incremental innovations there. Some will be software with their, you know, currently they're using the, uh, I think the iPad uses the A12Z Bionic chip, really, really powerful uh, device they have there. And then the iPhone, uh, the iPhone, the Pro and the Pro Max have the A14 Bionic. And it's that's what's actually rendering the visuals and showing, especially like the AR, the augmented reality experiences and things like that. But as we see improvements in that, and I, don't, I only think we're a version or two away from something to the accuracy of these high end thousands tens of thousands of dollars of scanners and so that's kind of the bigger limitations just the the, the accuracy critical scanning i think the other thing you'll see with high end scanning is that there's a specific spray that you'll typically put to give it something a matte finish so it doesn't have a shine before you scan it when it's something so accessible as the phone in your pocket or your ipad right you're not thinking about all the other all the other pieces or you may not have all those things and so there's a little bit of a barrier there, not something you, you can't get past, but all the other pieces that come with it, right? But I think we're just right there on the edge. And I think we'll see that become more and more accessible as these new devices come out. It's coming into this year and next year, I wouldn't be surprised to see some incremental upgrades there to bring that percentage, the 1% of error down to half a percent or even less, uh, which would bring it down into maybe under a millimeter.
1: Fantastic. I love that. I love just thinking, you know, where, where things could be going to really understand that, just because something isn't like you said, it's it's not a zero percent error. There's a percentage of error there. Then there are some caveats. That doesn't mean we don't pursue the thing because I that's something we have to overcome in healthcare is to think people automatically say, "Oh, see the new tech isn't perfect. Like we're not we we're not, not going to touch it yet." And those who do are the ones who figured out first and they're ahead of the curve. And that's our goal here. at every time on the podcast is to just help help everyone get a little further along that curve and get more comfortable with where we have to be, with what mindsets we have to, to go into innovation in order to get anything done. And so I guess that would lead me to my final question for you, Johnny, which is a call to action. So what's a tactical step that that leaders in healthcare can can take in this direction just to, to be comfortable or to learn how to evaluate new tech? Like, what would you say?
3: In, in a more general sense, not specifically on LiDAR, correct? Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, very general sense.
3: I think a tactical step, I think, like I said, in that first step is is staying up to date with the technology that might be relevant to your industry or your your role or, or just where your interest lies. I think it really does go a long way. Every day, I'm seeing upwards of 100 to 200 different prototypes and things that people are doing in the AR and VR space. And it really does go a long way to to see some of those things. We've seen in our industry that some of the best ideas that come out are not from a single person. It's a combination of multiple people's ideas, right? My perspectives might be different than yours. Um, Bring an engineer and a designer together, and you get a lot of power there. And some of the best ideas are a third my idea, a third your idea, a third of somebody else's idea. And so it does help to keep keep up to date with uh, those those different type of uh, technologies. I think LIDAR is one to keep an eye on for sure, as we look at new announcements in March and September of this year on the Apple side. Well, I think we'll see more, you know, come from other other providers from a LIDAR perspective, but just staying up to date there and keeping on top of that. And uh, if you can get your feet wet, dip your toes in it, start to, you know, do some early adoption and testing of some of those technologies, I guess would be my recommendation.
1: Fantastic. Johnny, uh, such a pleasure. We'd love to have you back again at, at another point. Uh, there's so much more we could go into here. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you or, or stay connected with you if they'd like to uh, stay in touch?
3: Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at tryjohnny, T-R-Y-J-O-H-N-N-Y, posting a lot there on some of the things I'm interested and passionate about. So we'd love to love to see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate the time.
1: Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast Exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you traveled down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how, together, we can help transform lives, Visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. (laughs) wow that was a lot of fun wasn't it thanks again to Zane and Johnny and thank you for listening we hope you found some value in this conversation and if you did please 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 we ask you this every week but we mean it this is so important to us if you can please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast healthcare wrap is a member of the shift.health content network go check it out at shift.health we have 28 podcasts and video series about shifting the way healthcare is experienced until next time keep marketing forward thanks and that's a wrap